as always, kids are welcome to stay with us in worship, but we offer this as an opportunity for them and for families that might need it. So this morning, we are going to be in uh, the epistle of Paul, that, a letter of Paul, 1 Timothy. And some of you may be thinking, wait, I thought we were in the Gospel of Luke. Well, we are going to be taking a little break uh, from Luke over the next uh, several, next couple months, and we'll come back to Luke after the new year. Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the solas of the Reformation. October 31st is Reformation Sunday, and this kind of worked out well for us to have a few weeks to look at these uh, foundational elements of the church. Before we get there, I just said foundation. For you kids, what is a foundation? You guys know what a foundation is? What a foundation is important? Is your, anybody, you know what the foundation is? Like your house has a foundation, right? You know what that is? The, the blocks, right, that you can see in the basement maybe sometimes, right? And, and you can see that these blocks are built or maybe it's a poured concrete foundation or maybe your house is old enough where you have actual stones that are, your, that are the foundation, right? What are those there for? Just for decoration? No, those are, like, those are one of the most important aspects of your house, right? That keeps your house from falling down. Now, without a foundation, your house isn't going to maybe fall down right away. But over time, as the ground settles and moves, your house will start to come down, will start to crack and break apart. So we need, found, we need a foundation in our homes, right? We need a foundation in buildings, right? When we, you know, um, this part of the building is built on a sl concrete slab, which isn't a great foundation, I'll tell you what. This part of the building <laughs> kind of moves and goes away. That part of the building, the new building, has a foundation, <laughs> And that part of the building will likely last a lot longer than this part of the building. Foundations are very important. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at these five foundations of the church. And we're going to be looking at these, they're called the five solas. Sola is a Latin term that means alone. They're the they came from the Reformation, and these foundations are things that still stand today that are important as foundational beliefs and understanding of the church. And that's our new series is going to be is called the Five Five Souls of the Reformation: Foundations That Stand Today. As I said, sola is the Latin for alone, and there are five aspects of the Christian faith and life and practice that the Reformers saw as utmost important for the foundation of the church. And the foundational truths that the Christian church and the Christian life must be built on. So this morning, we're going to kind of do a, a quick overview of all five of those. And then over the next five weeks, we're going to kind of go more in depth into each of those each week and see the importance that they have for us today. So let's read from 1 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 17 for our text today to see these five 
aspects, these five foundational beliefs in Paul's thinking and his encouragement to Timothy. Beginning at verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted." I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his patience, his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Your word, Jesus, who came in the flesh, who lives and reigns at your right hand in the flesh. Lord God, who has given us this word, Lord, we pray that we would indeed have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we would be not only transformed by your word, but conformed to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you who maybe this is the first time you've heard the phrase, the five solas of the Reformation, they include sola scriptura, or scripture alone, sola fide, or faith alone, Sola gratia, or grace alone. Solus Christus, or Christ alone. And sola de la gloria, glory to God alone. Why are these Latin phrases important? Well, you have know some Latin now, so you can go and impress people with your Latin. Why do we come 500 years, some 500 years later, why do we need to understand these foundational beliefs? Well, I think it's important for us to understand these foundational beliefs because, one, it is, they are the foundation of which our tradition, the Protestant tradition, has been built on. But even more than that, just like in Paul's day, we have a similar problem today. Paul tells us what that problem is when he writes to Timothy, and he tells us in the verse before where we started reading, he says... They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Do you hear that? 
They want to be, but they don't know what they're talking about. They want to be teachers, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And I don't know about you, but I see this in, our, in the church today. Often we don't know what we're talking about. Do you remember the scene in The Princess Bride where uh, Vizini has continually said over and over again, inconceivable. And several times he said this over and over again as the dread pirate Roberts pursues them beyond what he believes is possible. And after several pronouncements that this is inconceivable, Inigo Mentoya looks at him and says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Today, in the church, we have many people who are heirs of the Reformation who might say these phrases or assent to them intellectually, and yet, as Inigo Mentoya would say, you keep using those phrases, I do not think they mean what you think they mean. And here's the kicker. We can find people in the church today, those who might be considered liberal or progressive, but also traditional or conservative, do not properly and correctly understand these foundational beliefs. And because of that, because those on, uh, across the spectrum don't understand and rightly use these foundational beliefs, they've twisted views of Scripture, of grace, of faith, of Christ, and of the glory of God. And in our text, Paul sees each of these as utmost importance in understanding who we are, who God is, and how we, how we to enjoy the benefits of Christ. And we're not going to, like I said, we're going to not go a deep dive this morning. We're going to kind of just do a flyover, so to speak. But what we see in our text today is that because Jesus came into the world to save sinners, we have hope in this foundation. Because Jesus came into the world to save sinners, we have hope in this foundation. That is the foundational hope, and on that hope is what these foundations for the church are built on. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola fide, solus Christus, and solia de, Deo Gloria. First, sola scriptura. Some would say this was the foundational sola of the Reformation. We see this in verses 8 through 11 that Paul would agree that Scripture is foundational to our understanding of who God is and who we are. Sola scriptura is the belief that, that because Scripture is God's inspired word, is the only inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for faith and life, the church. Paul says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners. And then he continues to list who those are. And this is not an exhaustive list. Paul has other lists in other places. So there are all those who are 
find themselves in these lists. And then in verse 11, he says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been instructed. See, what, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, Paul says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God in which I have entrusted. So he's taking the concept, the idea of the law, the law of God, the law that was written down for us in scripture. He's connecting that to the gospel. And he's saying that whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, saying that whatever else might show up in one of these lists that I might make, <laughs> that is contrary to what the law and the gospel are saying, they are one in the same, but they have different uses, right? The law is good if it is used lawfully. And so he's showing us that the scripture is foundational to understanding who we are and who God is. He mentions sound doctrine or healthy teaching. And Paul adds this description that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. The gospel is the ultimate source and expression of healthy teaching. And anything that moves away from it or trumps it as a centerpiece of the church is diseased and dangerous. The gospel is especially good news when it set it against the backdrop of the bad news of our gross sinfulness as humanity. And this good news is that Jesus died for all those, the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who strike their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers, for those who practice homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. And the list goes on and on and on and includes you and me. The law and gospel and scripture rightly taught, Paul says and understood, is our final authority and gives us the words of life. It is in this that we find life through Jesus Christ. The words of life given to us, rightly understood, the law and the gospel together. Which leads us, when we have the, when we understand properly, rightly taught the law and the gospel, the whole scripture of God, sola scripture that gives us the words of life and this, these words of life is grace. Sola gratia, verses 13 through 16. Sola gratia proclaims that all of our salvation, all of it, from beginning to end, we are justified by faith through grace. We are glorified by grace. We are sanctified, that process of moving from our justification, from our regeneration all the way to our glorification by grace. From beginning to end, it is by grace and grace alone. And this is the very soul of the gospel, Paul tells us. 
in verse 15. That Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Or of whom I am the worst. This is the very soul of the gospel of grace. And this is the awareness of of a heart that has been transformed by grace. That the more that we understand the grace and the mercy of God, the more we understand our own sinfulness and our need for Christ and his grace. And that's how Paul can say that he is the foremost. Yes, he was, as he says, he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. He even took the life of those who proclaimed that Jesus was Lord. But notice that he doesn't say that that was me before, and then suddenly I have all this ability to to live. No, he says, I am the foremost. I still struggle in my sin, but it is by grace. Paul said, it is the hope for the worst. The great hope is by grace alone. In in verse 16, Paul writes, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and have eternal life. You see, what Paul is saying is that it's not just him, it's actually all of us, that those of us who have received the grace of Jesus Christ and understand that without him, we are, like Paul, the worst. And yet Christ displays in us his unlimited patience, his unlimited mercy, his unlimited grace, so that those who have not yet experienced the grace of God in Christ Jesus might see it in us, And believe. And receive eternal life. Right? This is not just something that Christ did for Paul. But he does it for each and every one of us. That by grace, (laughs) we are walking, living illustrations of what grace in the life of someone looks like and does. And brothers and sisters, if people don't see that in us, and I say this with all compassion, maybe you don't understand grace. Because grace allows us, like Paul, 
to be seen as the worst. Because Christ is seen more clearly and more beautifully by his grace. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, verse 12, Solafide maintains that the believer receives the redemption Christ has accomplished only through faith. It's not by works. There's nothing that we can do. It is by faith alone, by grace alone. Paul was given, he says, strength in verse 12 in the sense of being made equal to the task. He was considered faithful, not because he had been faithful, Right, he makes it clear, I hadn't been faithful. I had, I had no faithfulness in me, but I was considered faithful because of Jesus. I was given faith to be faithful. It is by faith alone that Paul understands that he has received this. that he has been called according to the purposes of God, that he has received the redemption in Christ Jesus. It is by faith alone. You might remember that Paul elsewhere lists all of his accomplishments, and yet he said, He's the Jew of Jew, right? He knew the law inside and out. He could repeat it backwards and forwards. He could do, he had everything right. And yet it was all rubbish, he said, apart from Christ. Nothing that we do is by faith alone, in Christ alone. Solus Christus, verses 15 through 16. Solus Christus is the assertion that, God alo- that Christ alone is the basis on which we, the ungodly, are justified in God's sight. It is through the work of Christ alone that we have life. It is not by our work, but by the work of Jesus Christ. As we already mentioned in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. It is by Christ alone, Paul says, He is the only way that we as sinners are saved. He came into the world for that purpose and that purpose alone. And all this leads to Paul spontaneously praising God to his glory. 
Sola Deo Gloria, verse 17. The reformers held fast to this phrase that only God receives glory, not only for our salvation, but for all things. It is to God's glory alone. And Paul ends by giving God all the glory to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right, all that Paul has written to Timothy at this point and, has, and that we've received is building this to this crescent, 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 easy for me to say, crescendo. That Paul sees the foundational importance of, of Scripture, of grace, of faith, of Christ, and this all leads him to glorify and praise God to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Calvin, John Calvin, uh, commenting on this passage says, his enthusiasm breaks out into this exclamation. Since he could find no words to express his gratitude, these sudden outbursts of Paul's come mainly when the vastness of the subject overpowers him and makes him break off what he is saying. For what could be more wonderful than Paul's conversion? At the same time, he admonishes us all by his example that we should never think of the grace shown in God's calling without being lost in wondering admiration. This sublime praise of God's grace swallows up all the memory of his former life how great and deep is the glory of God. Over the next few weeks, it's my hope that it will not be said of us, you keep using those words, I do not think they mean what you think they mean, but that we will know more deeply the riches of these foundational aspects of the church and the Christian life that we will once again, or maybe for the first time, be struck like Paul of the overwhelming, amazing truths, the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the glory of God alone forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for these foundational truths of your church, of the Christian life. And Lord, we pray that even today, as we've just done a flyover, so to speak, Lord, that we would be found like Paul to be speechless, to not be able to express even properly what it means, what you have done for us that we read and know through your scripture by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for your glory, God alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the preaching of God's word by standing and singing, and can it be.
to the 